0: This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Selfless Service to All. In the first half, Sandra Heaston shares her address, keeping your fingers on the pulse of service. Then in the second half, W. Vincent Wilding speaks on tenacious faith and selfless service.
1: The heart is a vital organ necessary to maintain life. The heart rate, also known as the pulse rate, is the number of times your heart beats per minute. In order for your body to function properly, it is important to have a continuous, regular, and strong pulse. With certain variations in the pulse, you may become sick and not able to function. Elder Marvin J. Ashton, in a General Conference talk from October 1988, taught that the Lord measures an individual's heart as an indicator of the person's capacity and potential to bless others. In other words, quote, Why the heart? Because the heart is a synonym for one's entire makeup. We often use phrases about the heart to describe the total person. Thus, we describe people as being big-hearted, or good-hearted, or having a heart of gold. Or we speak of people with faint hearts—wise hearts. Wise hearts pure hearts, willing hearts, deceitful hearts, conniving hearts, courageous hearts, cold hearts, hearts of stone, or selfish hearts. The measure of our hearts is the measure of our total performance as used by the Lord. The heart of a person describes his efforts to better self or others or the conditions he confronts. Quote. What if we could really see into each other's heart? Would we understand each other better by feeling what others feel, seeing what others see, and hearing what others hear? Would we make and take the time to serve others and treat them differently? Would we treat them with more patience, more kindness, more tolerance? A quote from Henry David Thoreau suggests that this could truly be something that could benefit our heart health. Quote, could a greater miracle take place than for us to look through each other's eyes for an instant. While we may all look at things differently, our hearts beat with many of the same dreams. The 2015 mutual theme, as found in Doctrine and Covenants, section 4, verse 2, states, Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that you serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, that ye may stand blameless before God at the last day. This teaches us that in order to stand blameless before God at the last day, not only should we serve God with our might, mind, and strength, but it is imperative to serve Him with our heart. Our Heavenly Father and the Savior know our hearts. Service with all of our heart must then be motivated by the pure love of Christ, free from all selfishness. Since a strong and vibrant heart is vital to our physical and spiritual health, each of us needs to learn how to assess and monitor our own physical and spiritual heart rate. If you were one of our first-year nursing students, we would teach you how to take your own heart rate. This would be accomplished by taking your index and middle finger of either hand and placing them over the radial artery of the thumb side of your opposite wrist, or by taking these same two fingers and placing them on one side of your neck over the carotid artery. By learning this simple technique, each of you could quickly and simply assess whether your physical heart was beating effectively. Just as there is a necessity for each of us to know that our physical heart is functioning properly, it is equally important to know that our spiritual heart is healthy and functioning properly. Unfortunately, there is not a two-finger technique that I can teach you that will effectively assess and monitor your spiritual heart rate. But there are indicators from our daily life that help us to know where we stand spiritually. One of the most easily measurable of these indicators is our ability to help meet the physical and spiritual needs of others—or, in other words, our ability to be of service to those around us. And that is the topic that I would like to address with you today. I would like to suggest to you an acronym that will help you to assess monitor, and improve your spiritual heart health, and that acronym is POLTS, which is defined as follows. P. Pray. Pray to have a serving heart. U. Understand. Understand and recognize the needs of others. L. Lose. Lose yourself in the service of others. S. Spirit. Be spirit-driven. Listen to and follow the promptings of the Spirit. E. Emulate. Emulate the Savior. May I now explore each of these with you in greater detail. First, pray to have a serving heart. Heavenly Father knows each and every one of us. He knows our desires, unique abilities, and circumstances. And He knows how we can use them to bless others. As we pray, become closer to Him, and seek His direction, He will help us know who, where, and how best to serve. Elder Ballard stated, quote, In your morning prayer each new day, ask Heavenly Father to guide you to recognize an opportunity to serve one of His precious children. Then go throughout the day with your heart full of faith and love, looking for someone to help stay focused, just like the honeybees focus on the flowers from which to gather nectar and pollen, if you do this, your spiritual sensitivities will be enlarged and you will discover opportunities to serve that you never before realized were possible. President Thomas S. Monson has taught many times that Heavenly Father answers another person's prayers through us, through our acts of service and love. Six months before my 21st birthday, my life was anything but hard. I had just finished my nursing prerequisites and had applied to the nursing program at the University of Utah. I had a super part-time job selling cosmetics for ZCMI, which included an hourly wage plus commission. I was seriously dating a young man and thinking I would be engaged in the not-too-distant future, and all was well with the world. And then my bishop— who just happened to be known as the mission bishop by the youth in our ward, called me in for an interview. My first thought was the obvious. He's going to ask me to go on a mission. And, sure enough, during the interview, he encouraged me to put in my papers and go out and serve the Lord. A mission was never part of my life's master plan, so I decided I was not going to even consider the bishop's suggestion, nor was I even going to ask in prayer if that was what I needed to do. I didn't share this interview request from the bishop with anyone—not my parents, not my closest friends, no one. I knew better than anyone else what course my life should take, and I didn't need their help or advice. Now for those of you that have big grins on your faces and for others of you who are quietly chuckling to yourself, you can see where all of this is headed, and you're absolutely right. When the other shoe finally dropped—and it did drop—it dropped with a loud bang. A mere few weeks after that initial interview, the young man I was dating stopped calling me without any explanation. The new manager where I was working decided she wanted everyone in that department to be full-time, and since I was in school full-time and was not able to change my school schedule, I was moved to a less desirable area of the store and was no longer earning a commission from my sales. I was also informed that I was not accepted into the nursing program, and the list went on and on. In a matter of months, I felt like the whole world had come to an end. President Ezra Taft Benson taught, quote, The Lord will have a humble people. Either we can choose to be humble or else He will humble us. End quote. Obviously, I was not going to humble myself, and so the Lord chose to do it for me. It was at that moment in my life that I knew I needed to approach my Heavenly Father in prayer and plead for His forgiveness and to ask, What would He have me do? And I knew the minute that I asked, without a doubt, that I needed to serve a mission. By the way, from the moment the bishop asked me to serve a mission, I knew what it was that I was supposed to do but I didn't want to follow his counsel and pray about it because I knew that if I did, I wouldn't be able to ignore the answer and do what I thought was best for me. If I didn't ask, then I could simply go on as I had and not have to worry about making dramatic changes to my master plan for my life. What I have since come to realize is that the real master plan for my life was and is really in the hands of the master. The time between when the bishop first interviewed me to the time that I entered the MTC here in Provo was a little over seven months. I served a full time welfare service mission to the Asuncion Paraguay Spanish speaking mission. Little did I realize what the Lord had in store for me in the future because I had been willing to replace my plan with His and to serve Him in the way that He intended. Second, understand and recognize the needs of others. Sister Burton gave a talk in the October 2012 General Conference in which she suggested that in order for us to become more like the Savior as we serve, we needed to remember a four-word phrase, first observe, then serve. I have found in my own experience that the more I observe, talk to, interact with, and take an interest in the lives of others, the better I come to know their likes, dislikes, needs, and wants. Information can truly lead to inspiration. Serving them becomes easier because I better understand where they are and what they really need. This understanding leads to a greater desire, on my part, to make an effort to reach out and bless the lives of those within my sphere of influence. In the College of Nursing, we have a required global health course, which is taken after the students have completed either their fourth or fifth semester in the program. I have the opportunity each May to take between 14 and 20 nursing students to Ecuador in fulfillment of that global health requirement. While there, we have the opportunity to work with various nonprofit organizations. The more I go, the more I am able to talk with those leaders and the people of Ecuador to evaluate their needs and in turn share those needs with the students. With the nonprofit organization Charity Anywhere— We are able to take teams of physicians, dentists, and eye specialists into various communities and schools in the Otavalo and Tana areas. There we evaluate and serve the medical and dental needs of children and their parents. We also do classroom teaching and provide fluoride treatments to all of the children. In Guayaquil, we have worked with a nonprofit organization called Hogar de Cristo. This organization works with an impoverished area of approximately 400,000 people, some of which live on less than a dollar a day. A few years ago the leaders of Ogar de Cristo were concerned about many hungry children coming to school and were worried that these children were not growing as they should. One year they asked if my students would measure these children as they wanted to start some school nutrition interventions. We measured height, weight, and hemoglobin and found nearly 50% of the children had anemia. Since that time, we have worked together with Ogar de Cristo, having included the Nutritional Sciences program here at BYU, to find a sustainable way to decrease the rate of anemia in this area, a study and intervention which is still in progress. Luis Tavara, the director of Ogar de Cristo in Guayaquil, always talks with the nursing students at an initial orientation. He tells them to turn off the noises of the world in order to better see ways to reach out and serve. He also encourages them that through the smiles in their eyes, the children will feel hope. These words have had a long-lasting effect on many of the nursing students who have gone to Ecuador. One student said, "Quote." Even now, when I am home, I continue to apply this principle each day in my life with each new or familiar person I come in contact with. I feel like this principle will make a huge difference in the nursing care that I will provide in my future. No matter the culture, economic status, religion, or personality, a smile from the soul truly is the greatest thing I can offer my patients." End quote. Throughout Ecuador, we have held many LDS stake health fairs at the local meeting houses where we have been able to interact with large numbers of the members of the Church to do health screenings to measure height, weight, body mass index, blood glucose levels, and blood pressure. We have taught various health care topics such as cardiopulmonary resuscitation, the Heimlich maneuver, proper practices of nutrition, how to stay healthy, and the prevention and treatment of diabetes and hypertension. Each year, our BYU Student Nurses Association and BYU nursing alumni come together to assemble kits to share with those in need. These include newborn kits, first aid kits, hygiene kits, school kits, dental hygiene kits, and feminine hygiene kits. There have been so many people who have donated their time and money in order to provide the supplies for these kits, and in turn, so many people in various countries have benefited from this service. Each year, as I take nursing students to Ecuador, we are able to continue to observe in order to better serve. Third, lose yourself in service of others. President Gordon B. Hinckley stated, Generally speaking, the most miserable people I know are those who are obsessed with themselves. The happiest people I know are those who lose themselves in the service of others. By and large, I have come to see that if we complain about life, it is because we are thinking only of ourselves. I had the wonderful opportunity to serve as our Ward Girls Camp director this year, and two weeks ago I was at Girls Camp in Wallsburg, Utah, with our young women and their advisors. Sister Virginia Pierce was one of our nightly devotional speakers, and she taught us about becoming. One of her statements about becoming was be someone who reaches out to others and serve others. Draw away the mirrors and look through the window. Quote. To demonstrate this, she called up one of the young women and asked that young woman to stand facing her. Sister Pierce then pulled out a mirror and put it between the young woman and herself so that she, Sister Pierce, was looking into the mirror while she tried to talk with the young woman. Not surprisingly, it didn't even begin to be an effective or heartfelt conversation. This was a powerful object lesson to illustrate how difficult it is to communicate with and serve others if we are too worried about ourselves and see only ourselves and our needs. Sister Pierce then put away the mirror and pulled out a window frame and put it between her face and the young woman's face. As she did so, we were able to see that the young woman had become the focal point of Sister Pierce and that true service requires that we focus on the needs and emotions of others. Oft times we are so worried about ourselves and our own busy lives as we look in mirrors while trying to look for opportunities to serve that we do not see clearly through the windows of service. In the October 2009 General Conference, President Monson stated— Often we live side by side but do not communicate heart to heart. How often have you intended to be the one to help? And yet often has day-to-day living interfered and you've left it for others to help, feeling that, oh, surely someone will take care of that need? We become so caught up in the busyness of our lives, were we to step back, however, and take a good look at what we are doing, we may find that we have immersed ourselves in the thick of thin things. In other words, too often we spend most of our time taking care of the things which do not really matter much at all in the grand scheme of things, neglecting those more important causes. President Monson also has said, we are surrounded by those in need of our attention, our encouragement, our support, our comfort, our kindness. We are the Lord's hands here upon the earth with the mandate to serve and to lift His children. He is dependent upon each of us. Quote. I have been very fortunate throughout my life to have a profession whose very purpose is service and gives me the opportunity of serving others daily. Everyone who comes to a medical facility is in need of being served in some way. Many days I would think to myself how awesome it was to not only be able to go to work and to serve others, but to also have it as my profession. It has truly been an amazing and fulfilling journey. I have worked in clinical settings as an emergency department nurse and now as a nurse practitioner in urgent care clinics. And What I have learned there I am now able to pass on as I teach nursing students the importance of serving others and treating each with kindness and respect. The inscription we read as we enter the BYU campus, which pertains to all of us, is, Enter to learn, go forth to serve. How awesome it is that every day I have worked has been a day of service. I would hope that I could say that of all the days that I am off as well. Fourth, be Spirit-driven. Listen to and follow the promptings of the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. He knows the heart of everyone. Trust Him. Elder M. Russell Ballard stated, I know that if you ask Heavenly Father to guide you to recognize an opportunity to serve one of His precious children, then go throughout the day with your heart full of faith and love, looking for someone to help at home, at school, at work, and at church. The Spirit will guide you, and you will be able to discern those in need of a particular service that only you may be able to give. You will be prompted by the Spirit and magnificently motivated to help pollinate the world with the pure love of Christ and His gospel. End quote. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, which reads, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. It is very obvious to me that the opportunity to be influenced by the Spirit and to serve a mission over thirty years ago has led me to my current experience of now serving in Ecuador with nursing students. Because the Lord altered events in my life and led me to a place where I needed to speak Spanish and understand South American culture, He is now able to use me for His purposes. By listening to the Spirit, putting my trust in Him, and planning according to His will, I am able to find joy and fulfillment in serving the Ecuadorian people. Also, in listening to the Spirit and trusting the Lord in choosing nursing as my profession thirty years ago, I have been greatly blessed as I have been able to care for the diverse medical needs of my family, friends, and neighbors. A few weeks ago the whisperings of the Spirit led me to pick up on early signs of pneumonia and sepsis that were affecting my father as we came back from one of his weekly dialysis sessions and to get him to the hospital, a course of action that led to the early intervention that he needed to stave off a much more severe and possible life-threatening set of circumstances. As a nursing professor here at BYU, I am able to now impart to my nursing students the importance of trusting the Lord and listening to and following the promptings of the Spirit throughout their career, just as I have been given those same opportunities throughout mine. President Spencer W. Kimball said, God does notice us, and He watches over us, but it is usually through another person that He meets our needs— Therefore it is vital that we serve each other." Fifth, emulate the Savior. All of the prophets have declared that true happiness is found in following the example and teachings of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example, as His was a life of service. When we serve our family, friends, and neighbors, we help those who are in need. As we emulate the Savior, we become more like Him. The Savior has given us an entire life of service to emulate, including healing the sick, causing the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, and ministering to the afflicted. He miraculously fed those who had no food. He raised the dead, and He took time for those in need, maybe even when He had not planned it into His day. In April General Conference 2011, Elder Ballard shared some thoughts with us about serving as the Savior serves. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It is only when we love God and Christ with all our hearts, souls, and minds that we are able to share this love with our neighbors through acts of kindness and service, the way that the Savior would love and serve all of us if He were among us today. When this pure love of Christ or charity envelops us, we think, feel, and act more like Heavenly Father and Jesus would think, feel, and act. Our motivation and heartfelt desire are likened to that of the Savior. One of my students this year wrote, Serving the people in Ecuador also helped my understanding of Christ's role as a healer. When we think of Christ as a healer, we often think of all the miracles He performed throughout His life on earth, healing the sick, causing the blind to see, and raising the dead. However, this is not all that Christ is capable of as a healer. He is able to lift up the heads that hang down, heal broken hearts, and wounded souls. This type of healing was what I felt we were able to participate in while in Ecuador. We may not have been able to heal every one of their physical infirmities, but we could help lift up heads that hang down, boost spirits, and heal hearts by providing a listening ear, a comforting hug, or a word of encouragement. All of these types of healing are accomplished by love. This experience in Ecuador helped me better understand how we can love as Christ did to help heal. President Dieter F. Uchtdorf said, When I think of the Savior, I often picture Him, with hands outstretched, reaching out to comfort, heal, bless, and love. As we emulate His perfect example, our hands can become His hands, our eyes His eyes, our heart His heart. If we truly love and look to the Savior and try to emulate His life of service, we will more fully know how to best serve our fellow man. In conclusion, I would ask you to ask yourself if you have a healthy heart with a continuous, strong, and regular pulse for service. If yes, then I would encourage you to keep praying for and making time to be of daily service. If, on the other hand, your heartbeat is a bit faint and your service pulse rate is a bit hard to effectively measure, I would suggest incorporating the pulse acronym more fully into your daily life by praying for a serving heart, understanding and recognizing the needs of others, losing yourself in the service of others, being spirit-driven, listening to and following the promptings of the Spirit, and emulating the Savior. I am grateful for the opportunity to be in the service profession of nursing with the opportunity to serve my brothers and sisters here on the earth. I love being anxiously engaged in a good cause, and I am grateful to be an instrument in His hands and pray that I will be ready when, where, and how He needs me as I would hope you would be as well. In the name of
0: Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is selfless service to all. We've just heard from Sandra Heaston. After the break, we'll return with W. Vincent Wilding for tenacious faith and selfless service. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Selfless Service to All. Next is W. Vincent Wilding, a BYU professor of chemical engineering, titled Tenacious
2: Faith and Selfless Service. In the 20th chapter of Matthew, we read the interesting account of the mother of James and John approaching the Savior and requesting that her two sons be permitted to sit at his side, one on the right and one on the left in his kingdom. The Savior explains that this is not his to give, and says, But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. When the others of the twelve heard about this conversation, it was the source of some ill feelings toward James and John. Indignation is the word used in the Bible. The Savior called the apostles together and taught them this great lesson. Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Recall these words of the Savior as recorded in Mark. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. To lose ourselves in the service of others, which is to lose ourselves in the work of the Lord, takes a great deal of faith. Faith that he will provide for us and sustain us in the challenges and trials of that work, and faith that he will prepare the way for us to accomplish his work. Recall with me the account of the sons of King Mosiah, who, after being changed from their wicked ways through the visit of an angel of the Lord, worked tirelessly to undo the damage they had done and to strengthen the Church. Then they desired to carry the message of salvation to their brethren, the Lamanites. We read in Mosiah, Now it came to pass that after the sons of Mosiah had done all these things, they took a small number with them and returned to their father, the king, and desired of him that he would grant unto them that they might, with these whom they had selected, go up to the land of Nephi, that they might preach the things which they had heard, and that they might impart the word of God to their brethren, the Lamanites. Now they were desirous that salvation should be declared to every creature, for they could not bear that any human soul should perish. Yea, even the very thoughts that any soul should endure endless torment did cause them to quake and tremble. Mosiah inquired of the Lord concerning their request, and the Lord told Mosiah, Let them go up, for many shall believe on their words, and they shall have eternal life and I will deliver thy sons out of the hands of the Lamanites. As the four sons of Mosiah and their companions reached the land of the Lamanites, they separated and went into different parts of the land. Ammon went to the land of Ishmael, where he was taken, bound, and carried before the king, who was King Lamoni. Ammon told the king, I desire to dwell among this people for a time, yea, and perhaps until the day I die. The king, being pleased with Ammon, desired that he should take one of his daughters as his wife. But Ammon declined, saying, Nay, but I will be thy servant. And thus began one of the most successful missions recorded in the scriptures, in which thousands of the Lamanites were converted to the truth. Ammon did not begin by calling King Lamoni to repentance or by listing the injustices of the Lamanites toward the Nephites, he began by saying, I will be thy servant, a profound lesson. Ammon's faithful service to King Lamoni soon led to opportunities to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the king, to his household, and to many others. Now recall with me the response of Nephi when he was informed by his father that the Lord had commanded Nephi and his brothers to return to Jerusalem to procure the brass plates from Laban. Most of you can probably quote Nephi's response. I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. This is a remarkable answer, and it warrants closer consideration. Where did Nephi come by this answer? Was he simply saying what he thought his father wanted to hear? Or perhaps was he merely repeating something that he had heard his father say? Most certainly not, for both questions. Nephi was a young man, probably near the age of most of you, and he had undoubtedly already faced challenges through which he had experienced the Lord preparing a way for him to accomplish what was commanded. Nephi's faith-filled response flowed from his own experience in relying on the Lord. I expect that many of you could proclaim a similar witness as a result of the Lord preparing the way for you. Further in Nephi's account, we see that after a failed attempt to get the plates, Nephi's older brothers were ready to admit defeat and return to their camp in the wilderness. Nephi succeeded in convincing them to try again. This second attempt, in which the family's wealth was offered to Laban, also failed. And Nephi's older brothers were angry and started to take it out on Nephi and Sam. An angel of the Lord intervened, and yet the older brothers murmured, asking, How is it possible that the Lord will deliver Laban into our hands? Nephi counseled, Let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord, for behold, he is mightier than all the earth. Then why not mightier than Laban and his fifty, yea, or even than his tens of thousands? Nephi showed tenacious faith. As a side note, remember that part of the Lord's work for which he will prepare the way, is avoiding temptation and sin. We read in James, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. He will provide the way for us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. If we can combine unwavering faith that the Lord will provide a way for us to do his will and his work, as demonstrated by Nephi, with selflessness in the service of others, as demonstrated by Ammon, we can be instruments in the Lord's hands in furthering his purposes, and we will find real and lasting joy as we lose ourselves in his service. Let me share some favorite stories that demonstrate how God prepares the way for those who faithfully and selflessly serve him. Wilford Woodruff, the fourth president of the Church, was baptized on December 31, 1833, in New York after hearing the preaching of two of the elders of the Church. He was 26 years old. The next spring he was part of Zion's camp. After the march of Zion's camp from Kirtland to Missouri, Joseph directed that Wilford and other single men in the company remain in Missouri to help build Zion. While in Missouri, Wilford yearned to serve a mission. He went into the woods and prayed that the way might be open for him to be called to preach the gospel. He states that, Before I arose from my knees, the Spirit of the Lord rested upon me and bore witness that my prayer was heard and should be answered upon my head. He arose from his prayer and walked from the woods to a road where he encountered Judge Elias Higby, a faithful high priest in the Church, who said, Brother Wilford, the Spirit of the Lord tells me that you should be ordained and go and preach the gospel. A few days later, he was ordained a priest and, having been a member of the Church less than one year, started on his mission to the southern states. We see Brother Woodruff's faith and the Lord's blessings in the following experience. He and his companion decided to travel down the Arkansas River and then walk into Tennessee. Being unable to get passage on a boat, they cut down a three-foot-thick cottonwood tree and hollowed out a canoe. They floated 150 miles in their handmade canoe to Little Rock, Arkansas. They then tied up their canoe and started the 170-mile walk to Memphis, Tennessee, on a road that, as Brother Woodruff said, lay through swamps and was covered with mud and water most of the way. The first day, they walked 40 miles through mud and water that was knee-deep. On the 24th of March, after traveling about ten miles, Brother Woodruff became lame with a sharp pain in his knee, and he stopped to rest. At this point, his companion left to return to Kirtland, and Wilford was left alone, sitting on a log in an alligator swamp. Wilford records, I knelt down in the mud and prayed, and the Lord healed me, and I went on my way rejoicing. He continues, On the 27th of March I arrived at Memphis, weary and hungry. I went to the best tavern in the place, kept by Mr. Josiah Jackson. I told him I was a stranger and had no money and asked him if he would keep me overnight. He inquired what my business was, and I told him I was a preacher of the gospel. He laughed and said that I did not look much like a preacher. The landlord wanted a little fun, so he said he would keep me if I would preach. He wanted to see if I could preach. I must confess that by this time I became a little mischievous and pleaded with him not to set me to preaching. The more I pleaded to be excused, the more determined Mr. Jackson was that I should preach. He took my valise and the landlady got me a good supper. I sat down in a large hall to eat. Before I got through, the room began to be filled by some of the rich and fashionable people of Memphis, dressed in their broadcloth and silk, while my appearance was such as you can imagine after traveling through the mud, as I had done. When I had finished eating, the table was carried out of the room over the heads of the people. I was placed in the corner of the room with a stand, having a Bible, hymn book, and candle on it, hemmed in by a dozen men, with the landlord in the center. There were present some five hundred persons who had come together not to hear a gospel sermon but to have some fun. I read a hymn and asked them to sing. Not a soul would sing a word. I told them I had not the gift of singing, but with the help of the Lord I would both pray and preach. I knelt down to pray, and the men around me dropped on their knees. I prayed to the Lord to give me His Spirit and to show me the hearts of the people. I promised the Lord in my prayer that I would deliver to that congregation whatever He would give me. I arose and spoke one hour and a half, and it was one of the best sermons of my life. The lives of the congregation were open to my vision, and I told them of their wicked deeds and the reward they would obtain. The men who surrounded me dropped their heads Three minutes after I closed, I was the only person in the room. In the morning, I had a good breakfast. The landlord said if I came that way again to stop at his house and stay as long as I might choose. By the end of the first year of this mission, Brother Woodruff records that he had traveled 3,248 miles, held 170 meetings, baptized 43 persons, Organized three branches, ordained two teachers, and one deacon. After completing this mission, serving two missions to the Fox Islands in eastern Canada, and being called as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, Elder Woodruff, with others of the Twelve, was called on a mission to England in 1840. After arriving in England, he was directed through prayer to the area south of Liverpool, where he was told that many souls were waiting. For the Lord's Word. Again, I quote from Elder Woodruff's account. On Sunday, the 8th of March, I preached at Frome's Hill in the morning, at Stanley Hill in the afternoon, and at John Benbow's Hill Farm in the evening. The parish church that stood in the neighborhood of Brother Benbow's, presided over by the rector of the parish, was attended during the day by only 15 persons. While I had a large congregation, estimated to number a 1,000, attend my meetings through the day and evening. When I arose to speak at Brother Benbow's house, a man entered the door and informed me that he was a constable and had been sent by the rector of the parish with a warrant to arrest me. I asked him, For what crime? He said, For preaching to the people. I told him that I, as well as the rector, had a license for preaching the gospel to the people and that if he would take a chair, I would wait upon him after meeting. He took my chair and sat beside me. For an hour and a quarter I preached the first principles of the everlasting gospel. The power of God rested upon me, the Spirit filled the house, and the people were convinced. At the close of the meeting I opened the door for baptism, and seven offered themselves. Among the number were four preachers and the constable. The latter arose and said, Mr. Woodruff, I would like to be baptized. I told him I would like to baptize him. I went down into the pool and baptized the seven. We then came together. I confirmed thirteen, administered the sacrament, and we all rejoiced together. The constable went to the rector and told him that if he wanted Mr. Woodruff taken for preaching the gospel— He must go himself and serve the writ, for he had heard him preach the only true gospel sermon he had ever listened to in his life. The rector did not know what to make of it, so he sent two clerks of the Church of England as spies to attend our meeting and find out what we did preach. They both were pricked in their hearts, received the word of the Lord gladly, and were baptized and confirmed members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The rector became alarmed and did not venture to send anybody else. <laughs> End quote." In eight months' time in this area, Elder Woodruff was instrumental in bringing over 1,800 souls into the church. Certainly, Elder Woodruff was an exceptional example of unwavering faith and selfless service. Now permit me to relate some personal and family stories. First, a brief story from my own mission to the south of France. We had labored some time in the town of Perigueux and had met with limited success. One evening, after a long day of tracting, we were ready to return to our apartment but decided to knock on the doors of one last street. Here we met a great family of three—a father, a mother, and a teenage daughter—the Demetz family, who was interested in hearing our message. The father, a large man, was a former police officer who had been injured in the line of duty and was paralyzed from the waist down. We taught the family about the restored gospel and returned to teach them a couple more times. The Spirit was working on them and they were receiving the word. Then came the fateful announcement that many European missionaries and elsewhere, I'm sure, hate to hear. The family announced that they were leaving on their annual vacation, and they would be gone for a whole month. A month was a long time, and we were worried that the small flame of testimony would flicker and fade. All we could do was to challenge them to read the Book of Mormon and to pray while they were away. They accepted the challenge. And while they were away, we too prayed. As soon as they returned, we anxiously and somewhat nervously went to their home. They told us that when they opened the door to their hotel room, they saw a picture of the Savior on the wall. And seeing that picture reminded them of their commitment to study and pray. They were baptized shortly thereafter. We rented a small pool in a physical therapy office for our baptisms. Sister Demetz was baptized first. Brother Demetz was baptized next. To baptize him, we helped him onto a chair, which we then lifted into the pool. Following the baptismal prayer, one elder tipped the chair backwards, while the other elder held Brother Demetz's legs to keep them under water. Their daughter was baptized after her parents. We returned to the branch meeting hall, where all three were confirmed and we all enjoyed an outpouring of the Spirit. In the late 1840s, which, by the way, was a long time before I was born, (laughs) my parents and my three oldest brothers were living in Sugar City, Idaho. My father's carpentry business was beginning to grow. They had just bought a house, and my father and mother were both busily engaged in their church callings. Their bishop came to my father and said he had a problem. Why did you come to me? asked my father. The bishop replied, Because you are my problem. I can't sleep nights because I can't stop thinking about you. You see, I received a call a few weeks ago from Salt Lake. The brethren wanted you to go on a building mission to Tonga. My father had served a proselyting mission there as a young man. The bishop continued, I told them that I didn't think you should go because you had just moved into a home that you were buying, you had three small children, and were just getting going in your business, and that we needed you in the ward. Now if I'm going to get any sleep, you'll have to call Salt Lake and tell them what you want to do. My father telephoned Salt Lake, accepted the call, and he and my mother began preparations to leave. They turned their home back to the cellar. My father turned over his business contracts, to another carpenter in the town, and they sold everything they had. My brothers said, Daddy even sold our beds. Then as a family, they left on their mission to help build the Liahona High School in New Kolofa, Tonga. My father recounts the following story, which occurred early in the construction of the school. We needed rock for aggregate for the blocks we were making to build the Liahona school. We had taken the compressor out to the quarry and drilled many holes so that we could put in dynamite and blast out the rock to be crushed in our small crusher. President Dunn asked me to go to the government quarry office and pick up the licensed dynamite expert of the Tongan government and take him over to our quarry to get our blasting done. At the appointed time next morning, about sunup, I left for the government quarry about five miles away. It was raining quite hard and became more intense as time passed. By the time I reached the government office, it was raining so hard I couldn't see through the windshield of the Jeep station wagon, and I had to look out the side window to stay on the road. I confronted the man I was to pick up, but he protested because of the rain. I felt inclined to persist, and in so doing we loaded up his gear and dynamite and started out. The rain continued, making it almost impossible to drive. As we had to pass by Leahona, I drove into the building area and stopped. But I was uneasy and felt that I should continue on to our quarry about a mile away. I started the engine again, and we were on our way. My passenger, for the most part, was silent. Upon reaching the gate to the fence around the quarry, I stopped and turned off the ignition. It stopped raining instantly. My passenger, looking greatly surprised, got out and opened the gate. We drove down into the quarry, set the dynamite, and fired it, getting out a good quantity of rock. We gathered up the gear and put it in the jeep. I got into the jeep and turned on the ignition. The engine started, and so did the rain. One last story from my father's account of this mission. During a conference session while Apostle Cowley was in Tonga in 1950, I was sitting on the stage with my back to the opening that went all the way around the thatched roof at the eve line for ventilation. A fellow tapped me on the shoulder and beckoned me to come out and talk with him. He wanted me to get another missionary and go to his home to administer to his wife, who was very ill. The fellow was a member of the Church, but he had become inactive his wife was not a member. When we two elders arrived at his home, they had built a little house in the back of their home for his wife. It is a Tongan custom to build these little one-room houses, about eight feet square, as a place to die. I was told that the doctors had told them there wasn't anything they could do for her, and that the Tongan remedies did not help, and that they wanted us to administer to her so she wouldn't die. Family members had gathered and were sitting on mats around the entrance of the little house. I think all were non-members. I talked to them for some time, explaining the priesthood ordinance of anointing and laying on of hands and the pronouncement of blessings. I told them that the Lord should not be mocked and that the sick were healed by faith, the power of the priesthood, and the will of our Father in Heaven. I then asked if they still wanted us to administer to the sick lady They did. We elders went into the little house. The lady was being held in a sitting position by a sister. She was too weak to sit by herself. Her eyes had a glassy look, and she was having much difficulty breathing. We knelt and had prayer. I asked the Lord to grant us His Spirit, to influence us to speak His will, and to bless the family members that they would know of His will. We knelt by the sick lady, and my companion anointed her head with the consecrated oil. And then we both placed our hands on her head, and I spoke the words of the blessing, promising her that she would get well. The next Sunday, I visited the branch where this lady was also a visitor, being completely well. She asked to be baptized. Brothers and sisters, it is my witness that if we show tenacious faith and are prepared to lose ourselves in service, our Father in Heaven will prepare the way for us to accomplish all that He asks of us. I pray that we can be instruments in our Father in Heaven's hands in doing His will, and that we will find great and eternal joy in His service. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center, Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Selfless Service to All, with thoughts from Sandra Heaston and W. Vincent Wilding. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.